The people who talk about civil war, it's a fantasy. There will never be another civil war in America. It's not possible. The crew of the Nimitz-class carriers is not intimidated by Billy Bob with his AR-15. So what are they really saying? What they're really saying is, we are going to commit political violence in order to intimidate our enemies. That's what they're saying. I'm Ken Harbaugh, and this is Burn the Boats, a podcast about big decisions. My guest today is Dan Barkoff, a former Navy SEAL who now serves as an emergency medicine physician. He's also the founder of Veterans for Responsible Leadership, an organization dedicated to empowering veteran voices to hold political leaders accountable. The organization began as a response to then President Trump's abuse of power. And ever since, Dan has been a leading voice in calling out such abuses wherever he finds them. Dan Barkoff, welcome back to Burn the Boats. Wish it were under better circumstances. But I wanted to talk to you in particular because there's been so much chatter about civil war, and it is so frustrating having, you know, personally seen one on the ground in Afghanistan. You've seen them in Iraq and Afghanistan, right? You were in both. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get into it. We're going to dive into the, you know, sort of the nitty gritty of what that what that kind of rhetoric can lead to. But right off the bat, you know, when you sent me these clips the other night, you know, I was kind of thinking, it's amazing. It's always the people who've never seen a war who are clamoring for one. Yeah, they have no idea what they're talking about. There's almost a, a glee in their in their tone when they when they suggest it. And it's people who've either never been in the military or if they have, have done the cosplay version inside the wire. You know, I... I Honestly, I'm even thinking about supposed combat vets like Andrew Clyde, who hands out AR-15 pins like candy, calls himself a combat vet, congressman from Georgia. But looking at his uh, his military rap sheet, his record, no indication that he was actually in combat. And it's these folks who get all excited about the prospect. And it's it's just gross. And you're the president of VFRL, Veterans for Responsible Leadership. I just think it's incumbent upon vets who know better to call it out so we dispel whatever romanticism people might have about going at it like they're advocating for. Absolutely. I mean, it's and it's not just us, right? Like there is the very last of the World War II veterans are, are passing on, the Korean War guys you know, the Vietnam guys are, you know, some of them are sort of still in positions of leadership, but our generation is sort of coming into national leadership, you know, whether it's elected or, you know, we're calling the, the shots on, on things like, you know, books and movies and, and you know, social issues and, and things like this. And we're really coming into our own and we have this minority, it's a small minority, thank God, but it's, you know, it's this vocal minority who knows that they can make headlines, knows that they can get clicks if they start talking about a civil war, which is insane. It, it is a completely insane, not going to happen. What it really is, is it's shorthand for political violence. And, you know, Ken, what I would say about a, a civil war, if you look at the American civil war, right? So we're, you know, flashback to 1859, 1860, Abraham Lincoln's elected, South Carolina, you know, wants to secede. And in fact, they do. So let's talk about what that looked like at the time. Okay. So the American army at the time 
about 10, 15 years removed from the Mexican-American War. Uh, you've got a total of about 15,000, 16,000 soldiers in the entire army. All right, so 16,000 American men under arms in 1860. Of that, about 1,200 or so are officers. And, you know, these soldiers are scattered all across the country. I, I think uh, I was reading uh, a while back, there were about 70, 80, you know, sort of active army posts at the time. So there's no place in America where there's like a sizable military contingent, right? It's scattered all across the country. And we're in a time of, you know, maybe there's a train, but, you know, we're, we're really in the time of horse and buggy, right? So news travels slow, you know, military units travel even slower. And that's what it looks like, right? That is not what 2023 the American military looks like. So when people talk about civil war, I mean, yeah, it was possible in 1860 for a geographical slice of the country to say we're we're you know gonna do our own thing and uh you know that that's what led to that conflict you know to preserve slavery in the slaveholding states that's not possible in America today. I mean the people who talk about civil war it's a fantasy there will never be another civil war in America it's not possible the crew of the Nimitz class uh, carriers is not intimidated by Billy Bob with his AR-15. And so what are they really saying? What they're really saying is we are going to commit political violence in order to intimidate our enemies. That's what they're saying. Right. Let's dive deep into that because, I mean, on the one hand, it's easy to dismiss the Billy Bobs with their AR-15s because they're not going to go up against the 82nd Airborne. If we can get the rights approved, I'd love to share this comedic take on that where the military responds with a Reaper drone, right? That's not a realistic matchup. But political violence is entirely, it's not only within the realm of possibility, it is happening. You have Americans taking up arms against their neighbors, taking up arms against law enforcement. It's almost like we've become numb to it. But just a couple of examples. Last year, uh, Ohioan, I know this because I'm from the state, shot up an FBI office and was killed. A month or so ago, a man in Utah made credible threats against President Biden. The FBI tried to serve a warrant and he was killed. This is happening. And when we talk about civil war in that context, what we're really talking about is civil conflict. What might that look like at scale? Because we know it's not going to be two massed armies facing off a la Gettysburg or Chancellorsville. It's going to be something very different, but very dangerous to our social fabric. Absolutely. I mean, you know, smarter people than I have have talked about this, but the the worst case, the realistic worst case scenario would be something like Northern Ireland, right, in the Troubles. So, you know, you've got in Northern Ireland, right, in the Ulster provinces, you've got, you know, British, it's, it's part of the UK, right? And you've got a Catholic minority, uh, you've got the IRA, which is a, a you know, a, a terrorist organization conducting terror attacks at scale, I couldn't tell you the exact numbers off the top of my head, but, you know, thousands of people over a period of 
of decades, you know, from the 60s, you know, Bloody Sunday into the 80s, all the way up to the Good Friday Accords, you know, you had pretty regular terror attacks, whether that was targeting British soldiers on the ground, whether that was targeting uh, and, and occasionally was exported to, you know, England proper and targeted political hits on leaders. Could something like that happen in America? I think that it could, unfortunately. And I think that what a domestic terror organization would need for that to be possible is, and and this is their biggest vulnerability kind of from a tactical law enforcement angle, is they need to communicate with each other, right? And so, you know, that was when we saw January 6th, right? You know, the, the, the whole... One six committee talking about, you know, these flashing red lights, uh, all the kind of social media traffic about what was going to happen on January 6th was occurring sort of out in the open. I'd like to think that our federal law enforcement has, you know, learned their lesson and is kind of monitoring those, uh, those channels. But, you know, something like that, even like a mass gathering, like a January 6th, I think is going to be really, really tough to pull off. Not a political rally per se, but a, political rally that turns, uh, that's, it's intended to turn violence, right? The thing that keeps me up at night, you know, the thing that's scary to me is something like the Michigan plot with Governor Whitmer. You know, that was a really closely coordinated, you know, some active duty military vets. They had an actual plan. They were intent on executing it. And, uh, uh, you know, we're only stopped in some aspects through, through luck. And, and so, Things like that can happen and probably will happen, and they're only they're only going to be worsened by things like uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, you know, asking Donald Trump about civil war. Right, with that gleam in his eye, we're going to have Kathleen Ballou on soon to talk about this. But the place that our version of that would depart from the the Irish version of that is in the ubiquity of guns in our country. You don't have to smuggle them around. Every wannabe insurrectionist has a basement full of them. And the advent of cell-style terrorism. You can have these small pockets of violent extremists do incredible damage. And, and that's you know, that's the other fear I have. There doesn't have to be this large overarching organization that is that is easy to target. It can be these small groups like we saw in Michigan, like I'm sure are organizing elsewhere. And if especially they have some cooperation within local law enforcement, that can get really, really bad. I'm thinking of the constitutional sheriff's movement. I'm thinking of those areas where you have sympathetic LEOs who are essentially covering for extremists. Well, there's, and there's a model for that, right? You know, that's kind of what the Klan did, right? The, the most successful terrorist organization in American history is the Ku Klux Klan. And it was for, for close to a hundred years, right? So, you know, they were, you're exactly right. You know, to your point, they were the sheriffs, right? You know, they they had some guys, you know, who who worked. You know, it was the mayors of southern towns. It was the, you know, the state of Indiana. Ten percent of the state of Indiana was was a member of the Klan at its height, and so that does enable, I think, some of the activities. Um, it certainly is a federal problem, right? Domestic terror is a federal problem. And, and, you know, while local law enforcement, I think, can make some headway if they're all pulling with the same, on the same team, but 
it's not something that's going to get better that without federal law enforcement uh, involvement. And so, you know, putting these people, what happened with January 6th, where people are facing real prison time, people are, are doing a decade, they're getting 17 years, they're getting 20 years, right? This is an important aspect of showing that this will not be tolerated. And you know, there is some progress with it, Ken. I mean, you know, you have January 6th, right? And, you know, you have all the fallout from that. And then there have been kind of noteworthy noteworthy events in which things could have gone much worse than they did. And, and the one that, you know, kind of grabs my attention is actually, you know, when Trump was indicted for the first time up in New York City and he gets arrested for the first time and he goes and he gets booked and fingerprinted. And, you know, there were some protesters there, but it was a peaceful you know, kind of a peaceful protest. There was no violence. And that probably is multifaceted. And there probably was a serious uh, law enforcement present all through that crowd. There probably were people uh, watching and monitoring social media channels in anticipation of that event. And, you know, to their credit, there were people that I politically disagree with strongly and will vote against every time who responsibly said, hey, you know, stay at home. This is not the time to riot, right? And so leadership matters. And you can have political disagreements and you can protest and you can protest loudly and noisily and do so in a peaceful way. And that's part of our American tradition. And when we have people who are telling their, you know, their their followers to do so, that's Although I disagree with their cause, I I would argue that that's responsible leadership. But any talk of violence or civil war is, you know, much further than a bridge too far. As I've gotten older, I have noticed that on the occasions when I have an alcoholic drink, I don't bounce back the next morning the way I did when I was younger until I discovered Z-Biotics. Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhDs to tackle mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it most. Just remember to drink Zbiotics before drinking alcohol, drink responsibly, and get a good night's sleep to feel your best the next day. The first time I tried Zbiotics was at a wedding. As instructed, I drank a bottle of Zbiotics before any alcohol and was amazed at how I felt the next day. Every time I have a Zbiotics before drinking, it makes such a difference the next day. Even after drinks the night before, I know I'll be able to get back to my daily routine like working out or mowing the lawn. Give Zbiotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com/boats to get 15% off your first order when you use boats at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash boats and use the code boats at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode. Heart health and staying healthy, especially when you have a family that you want to be able to spend as much time with as possible, is so, so important. We all have a heartfelt reason to support our blood pressure. In fact, 
more than half the U.S. population would benefit from blood pressure support. Super Beats Heart Chews are an easy and convenient way to support healthy blood pressure, and they promote heart-healthy energy. Paired with a healthy lifestyle, the antioxidants in Super Beats are clinically shown to be nearly two times more effective at promoting normal blood pressure than a healthy lifestyle alone. And with over 30,000 five-star reviews and counting, Super Beats Heart Chews are having their moment. Super Beats Heart Chews are incredibly delicious and so much better than any alternative supplements out there. I take my Super Beats Heart Chews each morning and it's really kickstarted my morning routine. After taking my Super Beats Heart Chews, I feel like I have more energy and am ready to take on the day. Super Beats Heart Chews support healthy circulation so you not only get blood pressure support, you also get productive, heart-healthy energy without the crash. Support your heart health with Super Beats Heart Shoes. Get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Shoes and a free full-size bag of turmeric shoes valued at $25 by going to BoatsBeats.com. Get this exclusive offer only at BoatsBeats.com. Hi, Burn the Boats fans. I want to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor for today's show, Roan. Men's closets are long overdue for a radical reinvention, and Roan has stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter collection represents the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible clothes I've ever found. Roan makes it so easy to get ready for any occasion. The commuter collection offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, and polos. Roan's comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy whatever life throws your way, from your commute to work to weekends at the kids' ballgames. Looking good is easy with Roan's wrinkle release technology, which makes wrinkles magically disappear seriously as you wear the products. It's really that easy. I don't have time between work and family and everything in between to worry about dry cleaning or ironing with Roan, I don't have to. I just wear and go. And I feel great doing it. Even after a long day, Roan feels clean and new and just as comfortable as the moment I put it on. You got to try it out. Head to Roan.com slash boats and use promo code boats to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to R-H-O-N-E dot com slash boats and use code boats. Trust me, Roan makes choosing what to wear not just easy, but classy and comfortable. That's Roan.com slash boats. Holding the insurrectionists accountable has definitely had a deterrent effect. Leadership matters, but it matters in both directions. Obviously, leadership matters when you're telling people to stay home, when you're a voice of calm and a voice of, of moderation in moments of high passion. But it also matters when you're in a position of leadership and you're, you're moving people to violent action. We obviously saw that clearest day on January 6th, but we're, we're seeing it in other arenas as well. I'm going to roll this quick clip from a Georgia state rep that I think may be a portent of things to come. Here it is. My goodness, how many people in my district questioned that election? I mean, and now that we've got 19 people who are facing the rest of their life in prison because they spoke out against an election. I mean, you know, I, I told one senator, I said, listen, I said, we've got to put our heads together and figure this out. We need to be taking action right now, because if we don't, 
Our constituencies are going to be fighting it in the streets. Do you want a civil war? I don't want a civil war. I don't want to have to draw my rifle. I want to make this problem go away with my legislative means of doing so. And the first step to getting that done is defunding Fonnie Willis of any Georgia tax dollars. And hopefully Representative Jordan and Representative Biggs will follow suit in Congress and strip her of her federal dollars, too, because she is not upholding her oath to the Constitution. So there you've got a a local state rep saying out loud what a lot of his colleagues are thinking privately. We had the infamous tweet from Marjorie Taylor Greene calling for a national divorce. What is your your theory on the balance? What's needed to overcome those voices pushing people to commit violent acts? Is it 10 to 1 if you have just, you know, a couple of key Republican senators saying that that is irresponsible, that's un-American? Is that enough? Where are we right now in terms of our political discourse in marginalizing the MTGs and that Georgia state rep calling for violence? It's a scary time. It's a dangerous time, but there are positive signs, right? So the rhetoric is getting cranked up because Donald Trump is running for president, right? Like that is the, the bottom line is that a man who has tweeted that he, he wants to overturn the constitution, the man who for the first time in the history of our government, in the history of our country, prevented the peaceful transfer of power a man who's been indicted on dozens of felonies in four different locations, right, is running for president. And for some reason, it's it's insane to me, but for some reason, he's popular. And, you know, a certain cohort of the American voting populace is okay with an autocrat and is okay with turning their back on a functioning democracy and changing the rules and changing, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, for trying to rig the game so that their guy can win. And Donald Trump drives all of this. If you take Donald Trump out of it, this stops, right? If Donald Trump gets his butt kicked in an election and he loses Wisconsin and he loses Georgia and he loses Nevada and he loses all these states in 2024, people are going to take a sigh. You know, there's going to be a national sigh, right? Like people are going to be like, all right, let's move past this. And, you know, somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, you know, she's very easily marginalized, you know? I mean, she is relevant because of Donald Trump. She is hanging onto his coattails. And that's the only reason people care what she thinks. Without Donald Trump, she's a backbencher from um, a a congressional district in Georgia. Um, She's never going to attain national office. Marjorie Taylor Greene could not win an election outside of her district. Um, I'm not even sure she could win a Georgia statewide election. Uh, you know, people in, in Fulton County are not going to vote for, uh, somebody who's all into Jewish space lasers. And so I think you're right though, that the solution is, you know, to marginalize these people to say, Hey, you know, go ahead, do your thing, man. You and Matt Gates tour around the country wearing flat jackets and, and talk about guns, you know, go ahead. And, you know, you probably can make a nice living doing that. We all know you're just kind of milking, you know, milking people with violent fantasies for, for their hard-earned money. But as far as a national following, it's, it's Trump. It's always been Trump. 
once Trump is off the table politically, I really expect a, a return to sanity in, in a lot of this. I have come around to that same view just in the last few months. I used to look at people like DeSantis and MAGA GOP politicians who were much more strategic and calculated and frankly better at implementing their their policies than Trump and be worried about them. But none of them, none of them could marshal their followers to do what they did on January 6th, for example, or to to sacrifice their own lives for a cultish purpose. Trump can. He is a singular figure in American history for his ability to do that. Your prescription for getting beyond it is him losing the 24 election. I would maintain, though, that he has to lose badly. If it's a close election, it's arguably worse for the country, even if he loses. If he loses a close election, we've seen what he, the lanes he will go to to regain or stay in power. He has to be beaten really, really badly so that the voices who claim stolen election marginalize themselves. Yeah. And so (laughs) I, I agree with all that. So In Donald Trump's little lizard brain, right, he is, this is what Donald Trump has learned from his foray into politics, Ken, right? So Donald Trump's the president, you know, he does his thing, whatever. He loses an election. He starts this, uh, you know, this insane story about how he was cheated out of this election, right? That's what he learned is that, number one, he can marshal an army of morons to storm the Capitol who are going to believe his bullshit, right? He can do that. He pulled that off once. He knows he can do it again, okay? He learned then that when he was not in office, for the first time in his life, he was criminally indicted. I mean, arguably, he's done, you know, dozens of other crimes along the way, and he should have been indicted, but, you know, he wasn't, you know, it worked out for him, right? So, He learned that when he gives up political power, his freedom is at risk for doing the stuff that he's always been doing, right? And so if you give Trump power back, I don't think he ever leaves, right? Like, I I really don't. I mean, so nobody with half a brain is thinking that Donald Trump is going to respect the results of a 2028 election, right? I mean, you know... He'd have if if that were to happen, he'd have served two terms, and you know I don't think he goes quietly into the night and like sets up a library in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, you know he he's like no, I'm I'm not doing that. Then I have I don't have the power of the presidency to to legally protect me. If he comes back, he's never leaving. I, I really believe that, and and I, I would challenge anyone who says I'm I'm being uh, you know a Cassandra to you know, make your case. But I don't think Donald Trump leaves the White House if he ever gets access to it again. And further, you know, if he's old and infirm or, or what have you, I mean, get ready for the Don Jr. or the Tucker Carlson regime, right? Because that, that'll happen. So this is, you know, everyone always says this is the most important election, right? This is actually the most important election. This 2024 is at the top of the ticket, a choice about, are we going to continue to have a democracy? Is your vote going to continue to matter? Or are we going to have an autocracy? That's it. Okay. Yes, I get it, man. There's the kitchen table stuff, right? Inflation sucks. 
Nobody wants to pay more for a gallon of gas and a gallon of milk. You know, there are things to disagree with Biden on. Um, I think the way we withdrew from Afghanistan was was terrible. You know, that is not worth by any stretch to me burning down the house and deciding that we're going to live in a dictatorship. It's insane to me to think that this is the place we are. But but trust me, folks, this is where we are. The Republicans, you know, how many of how many House reps signed that amicus brief trying to throw out the votes in Pennsylvania? You know, you've got Texas congressmen trying to throw out voters, you know, votes in Pennsylvania. This is insane. These are insane times we live in. And we have to beat Donald Trump in 2024. And that's going to come down to a handful of states. It's going to come down to Arizona. It's going to come down to Wisconsin. It's going to come down to Georgia. And we have to win in those states. Yeah, I want to drive home your point that this is the most important election of our lifetimes, because I've said that in past elections. I think people get tired of hearing it. But the analogy I, I like to draw is that we are heading towards a cliff and every election we get closer to it. And every election becomes the most important election of our lifetimes until we figure out how to hit the brakes, how to realize that that danger is fast approaching and, and change course. This is absolutely the most important elections, election of our, of our lifetime. What is VFRL, Veterans for Responsible Leadership, doing in, in preparation for 2024? So VFRL is, uh, you know, for those of you who might be hearing it for the first time, so we're a veterans organization. Um, let me rephrase that as, as our uh, friends and, and former executive director, uh, Mike Smith, says, we are an organization of veterans. We are not a veterans organization. We are small D Democrats, period, end of discussion. We support candidates who are pro-democracy. Now, in 2024, we are de facto big D Democrats because of that. You know, there have been certain Republicans along the way who've come out and, and done the right thing. The Kinzingers, the Cheneys, they're not on the ballot this time, guys. This is an election in which you must vote blue if you care about democracy. That is just a fact. There is, you know, there are two parties in this country and one is okay with autocracy and a sizable portion of that party actually prefers autocracy. And the other party prefers democracy. And that is that is as clear cut as I can make it. So what is VFRL doing? Well, we're going to attack Donald Trump. And we're going to attack Donald Trump by making the argument that he is unfit to be the commander in chief of our military. We are going to talk about leaving top secret documents all over your shower in Mar-a-Lago, which you or I or anyone who's ever held a security clearance knows that they would be sitting in Leavenworth right now if they had done the same thing. We're going to talk about Donald Trump and his ties to white supremacists in a military that's 20% African-American. He's sitting down and having dinner with white supremacists, like avowed white supremacists at Mar-a-Lago. We're going to talk about Donald Trump instigating and starting a riot. We're going to talk about Donald Trump putting the lives of law enforcement officers at risk. We're going to make the argument that this guy cannot be the, the commander in chief. There is no job in the military that Donald Trump could do, right? If he walked into an army recruiting office and he sat down and let's, let's make him, let's make him 19 years old. You know, he walks into an army recruiting office and with, with all the baggage and he says, Hey, they're like, Hey, uh, says here, you associate with known white supremacists. You're charged with multiple felonies. 
you've had t- access to top secret documents and you've uh, not stored them appropriately and have never accounted for why you wanted these documents in the first place, you know, what can you do in the military, right? There's nothing, I wouldn't t- trust Donald Trump to, uh, you know, hand out basketballs at the base gym. He would screw that up too. There's nothing this man can do. He belongs nowhere near the United States military. Yeah. And he is running to be the commander in chief once again. You, you forgot the fact that he is uh, in peak physical shape, six foot three, <laughs> 215 pounds. Well, I, I did, I did say let's, let's terribly make him 19 again. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's, we have to take him seriously, but he's not like a serious person, Ken, right? Like he's, he is not somebody who, would you trust Donald Trump to babysit your kids? Would you trust Donald Trump to uh, do your taxes for you? Would you trust Donald Trump to cook your, you know, to cook a dinner, right? Like he doesn't pass the trust test for anything, let alone, you know, having his finger on the nuclear trigger, right? Like he is just not a responsible person. And it's insane that we're thinking about giving him access to power. Yeah. Well, we will put a link to VFRL in the show notes. Uh, keep up the the incredible work. We'll keep checking on in with you. Thanks so much, Dan. Ken, happy to be here. And uh, yeah, check us out at vfrl.org, guys. And if you, now is the time. Voter registration day is coming up in September. Make sure you're registered to vote. Make sure your friends and family are registered to vote. This is going to be a tight one and we have to win. Small D Democrats have to win. Across the board. Thanks, Dan. We'll see you next time. Thanks again to Dan for joining me. Thanks for listening to Burn the Boats. If you have any feedback, please email the team at kharbaugh at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're always looking to improve the show. For updates and more, follow us on Twitter at team underscore Harbaugh. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review. Burn the Boats is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Our producer is Declan Roars, and Sean Roloffman is our audio engineer. Special thanks to Evergreen executive producers, Joan Andrews, Michael DeAloya, and David Moss. I'm Ken Harbaugh, and this is Burn the Boats, a podcast about big decisions. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.